really beautiful um, just how the Holy Spirit works and, and what He's like as a person. Um, I, I have absolutely no desire to do meetings for the sake of doing meetings. And if you're here, you're probably here for the same, same reasons. Like we, we're so beyond um, knocking church services out the park, trying to hit them for six, trying to make people feel like we do, we do this well. Um, I have no desire to be impressive. Um, <clears throat> I have no desire to be impressive, and I have no desire to try and manufacture something impressive. And I, I think we're all on that same page together. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'm learning something about the person of the Holy Spirit where um, I'm finding him in places I never thought I'd find him, or I notice him waiting in places I didn't realize he waits in. Um, and often it's, the, passes, it's the, the places we pass by so quickly. It's the places that we um, move on from so quickly because we're used to defaults and ways of thinking and ways that we've been trained because of experience. And so we don't even know sometimes how hype has trained us to only know the Holy Spirit a certain way or only receive the Holy Spirit a certain way. And so if it's not loud and big and wild and um, if people aren't shaking and flying across the room um, or if, you know, all these kinds of things, we, we sometimes get lost in all of that stuff and we miss that he could be standing right next to you. And... Um, <clears throat> A.W. Tozer said something in one of his books that's always marked my life. He said this. He said, many churches, the Holy Spirit could leave the building and they wouldn't even notice. Six months later, they'd be carrying on. Uh, that's always marked my heart and just realized what we're doing is for Him. And I never want to be in a place where we are so good at doing church that He could leave the building we wouldn't notice. Um, now, He's such a good God that He never does that. He really loves people. Seriously, it's so beautiful. I find him in every church, every expression, even the ones where there's some messed up stuff. I still find him because he loves his people. He, he doesn't forsake us. He doesn't abandon us. We have a perspective of God. Um, we have a perspective of God that he's so after right and wrong that if you get it wrong, you can actually miss him and he leaves. And if I was to ask you that theologically, you would, you would agree with me that, no, he said he would never leave us or forsake us, but we live that way. We often live in a way that we think he lifts from us, he leaves us. You know, we've been trained that he's a dove on your shoulder. <laughs> and uh, if you offend him or you scare him, he leaves. It's not biblical. So you can grieve him and you can quench him, absolutely, but you can't chase him away. You know, when he's grieved or when he's quenched, it's more, it has to do with the expression and the flow um, of the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit on your life. If it's struggling, bro, I can put the mic down and just shout. No worries. Just let me know if it's not going to come right. Um, thank you. You're a champion. What does it look like for us in life to, to live for the presence of the Lord in a way that means we're just looking to be aware of Him? We want to notice Him. We want to stop when He stops and we want to move when He moves. Um, and what would a church look like that's built around that? What does it mean to be a people of His presence? And we're, we've been pursuing that for years and we'll continue to pursue that. Um, are you with me? Am I talking over your heads? That's okay if I am. You can. So what happened here is it was really beautiful. Um, at the end, those chords and, and what the team was releasing, uh, I felt the, the gentleness and the tenderness of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then I felt that stillness come over me where it's like, He's right here, and I just need to calm down a little bit, quieten myself, and go, there you are. And sometimes he releases a whisper, which I felt he released something in my spirit. I think he was doing it in the room, a whisper. And then it's, you just begin to lean into that whisper, and suddenly you find him. And, uh, and it was like, okay, he's, he, he wants to be found. He's, because we're in this beautiful love relationship with him, I can't remember who said this. Somebody once said, sometimes you're walking with Jesus and he stops just to see if you'll keep walking without him. That's sometimes what we're learning is we're walking with him and then, and then you feel like, whoa, where did he, what, what happened? I, we, were just, we were just holding hands and now I kind of feel like I've drifted off here. And then you stop and he's like, oh, he's, he's just over there. He just stopped walking to see if I'd carry on without him. And he's not frustrated when we do that. He's just waiting for us to return. 
And I'm just looking at, at my own life and I'm looking at the, the church and different expressions of the church across the world. And I think one of the things that we haven't taught well enough or we haven't equipped the bride and the body in well enough is how to just walk with the Holy Spirit. How to be sustained by Him. How to not feel the pressure to manufacture something every single day and perform for yourself or for anybody else. And to just rest in the fact that you were never... Uh, called to do this in your own strength. You were always called to be fully dependent on Him. You know, the book of Acts is so profound because Jesus' blueprint for His leaders was very simple. He never gave them the instructions on how to run the church. He gave them one, and He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. I think that's really significant. I think we should pay more attention to that, that His instruction to us on how to do this was, don't do it without me. Can you imagine he's going to birth a movement that's going to carry revival across the earth? And he says, just make sure you stay in that room until you get him. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll know what to do. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be empowered to be my witnesses. You can't, you can't be a witness of something you haven't seen and received. And so I think it's, it's vital for us as the church to be more intentional in our hearts and in our lives of simply cultivating relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's how we know Jesus. It's how we know the Father. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to us, who, who is the way to the Father. Amen? Anyway. Um, you know, I, I am actually an intense, uh, pretty wild, intense, fiery person by nature. And yet I find when the anointing comes, I get very tender. And I, I'm actually learning things about myself that when I move into the flesh, I try and, oh, I rile it up and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I, I have thoughts on the drums. I mean, I can see people are going through a lot of emotional stuff. I want to just blow it up and I'm ready to like grab the mic and like start prophesying and casting out every, no, I'm kidding. Um, and then it's funny because it just shifts and I just feel the tenderness and the compassion of the Lord. And I just begin to feel, God, I love people. And I heard him say to me when I was sitting on the drums, he said, I, I actually care about their hearts more than I care about this meeting. Because He loves you. You know what I mean? He loves you. And, and our responsibility, um, you know, when, whenever you have the, the pulpit or the microphone, is to make sure that we're representing Him. That we're a mouthpiece for what He wants to say. And so my prayer this morning is like, okay, Jesus, if you were standing up this morning to address us, what would you say? And I don't think He'd be calling you to get your act together. I think He'd be awakening your heart to the reality of how much He loves you, that if you were grounded, rooted and grounded in His love, you're, you're, you're unshakable and immovable in Him. So I, um, I'm like two weeks into leading the church. still have no idea. still have no idea what we're doing. Um, People said it feels different. It does feel different. It just feels scarier and weightier. And um, I'm learning how to do financial write-ups and all these fun things. I need a lot of intercession and prayer. <laughs> I'm not an admin guy, just saying. That. So if you can just pray that God would bring like a really administrative assistant, it would be so good. Um, and also like a buttload of money to pay them good salaries. <laughs> but we're two weeks in and... and um, more than ever, I feel so dependent. I feel, I feel needy for Jesus. Anyway, I, we're going to do a series on Antioch at some stage. And I've, we've got so much that we want to unpack because I believe it's really going to position us for what's, what's happening. Um, we have been asked to send our first placement team of 90 days to Turkey in February. Um, which means buckle up. We need to get training. Um, and so if the Lord's moving on your heart, we'll, we'll chat. I'm praying about strategy and, and just the timings of the Lord and what, what's, what's possible. But it's time to start training and sending. And, uh, and that's really exciting. And we're, there's venues and a building project and all these things that are happening all at the same time. And in the midst of that, I can just feel that simple truth. Just stay with the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. Stay in step with Him. Listen to Him. Walk with Him. Stop with Him. Um, and so we'll get to that series of Antioch just to help ground us. And if you, I'd really encourage you, even if you've been in 24-7 for a year, um, on the 21st of May when we do that, that Catch the Culture meeting, um, I think it's going to be such a good refresher for us as a house just to map out where we're going, you know, the next 5, 10, 15, 20, however many years till Jesus comes. Um, just bringing clarity to our hearts, making sure we're very clear that we're a part of something that's kingdom, 
you know, the, the local church is a vehicle for the kingdom. The kingdom's not the vehicle for the local church. Um, we're building the kingdom of heaven, and that's the mandate on the church, and so we, we'll unpack that together. But I'd encourage you to be there. Anyway, as I was praying about this series and saying, God, when do I start it? And, um, you know, it's only the second Sunday after the transition, and, or third, but second for me. Um, I felt just the, the pastoral heart of the Lord and, and the way He shepherds us and, and covers us as a house. And anyway, last night, um, I've just been thinking about a specific passage that the Lord's been ministering to me uh, this week. And then the whole night, I just kept hearing Him saying, touch my wounds. Over and over and over again, even I'd wake up while I was sleeping and just hear, touch my wounds, touch my wounds. And So I was thinking, I was like, that's a pretty gory, weird statement. And, um, but this was going over and over in my spirit, and uh, I, I just started thinking about Thomas. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to John 20 from verse 19. A lot of people, all they know about Thomas is that he was called Doubting Thomas. I think that's the most unfair, horrible thing that religion ever did to this story. Because it's not in the Bible, just so you know. Jesus didn't call him Doubting Thomas. No one else called him Doubting Thomas. Religion came up with this title for him. And I hate it. And I want to I smash it this morning. Um, because we're all Thomases, man. <laughs> like, uh, we're all Thomases, just saying. Anyway, um, I'm going to read it out of the Passion. If you're offended by that, uh, I love you and I'm so sorry. And I'll read it to you afterwards in the Amplified just to make you feel better. But um, I just, I love the language of the Passion Translation in this context. And um, Yeah. So we're going to read from verse 19. It says, That evening the disciples gathered together and because they were afraid... Uh, from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. Just pay attention to this. He showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. And he told them, Just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins. And people's sins will be forgiven. If you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. In other words, how will they know they're forgiven if you don't preach the gospel to them? Amen? He says this, uh, or it carries on. It says, one of the twelve wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them. And it was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin. So the disciples informed him, we have seen the Lord with our own eyes. Still unconvinced, Thomas replied, There's no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands, touch them with my finger, and put my hand into the wound of his side where he was pierced. Then eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together, and even though all the doors were locked, Jesus st suddenly stood before them. I want to pause here for a second before I carry on. You've got to understand something. Thomas was not was not some guy who was like questioning Jesus, you know, constantly uh, second-guessing him. He wasn't a doubter. He followed him passionately for three and a half years. He was prepared to give his life for Jesus. In fact, in John 11, when Jesus wants to go to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, the disciples are freaking out because they're like, hey, the last time you were there got pretty rough and people wanted to kill you. And Thomas goes like, well, let's go die with him. <laughs> let's go die with him in Bethany, you know. And some scholars say he was being sarcastic. I don't think so. I don't think he was being sarcastic. I think he was like, yeah, I'm in, you know. Let's go die with Jesus. And so Thomas was not a doubter. He was not somebody who, who didn't know Jesus or hadn't seen. He walked with Jesus. He had seen the miracles. He saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he was a part of this. And so you can imagine the devastation that, that was going through his heart when Jesus died. Like all the disciples, they were scattered. And I wonder where Thomas went. Because I know where I go with devastation. I know when your heart, when there's disappointment and there's hurt or pain, where we go in our hearts, we all run to different places. We run to different things. And so Thomas ran. And he wasn't there the first time the disciples gathered and Jesus appeared. And it's interesting because Jesus appeared to them and he showed them 
says that he showed them the wounds. He showed them his side. He, he, he revealed himself to them and they believed. And, and so they come telling Thomas, like, we've seen the Lord with our own eyes. And Thomas is so wrapped up in disappointment. He's so stuck in the struggles of life. And, and I gave up my life for three and a half years. And what was it for? Because he died. And now these crazy people are saying he's actually just walking into rooms out of nowhere. What would you have said? Right? It's crazy. It's wild. His heart is... is See, the thing about disappointment is it disappoints you from the things of God. You've been appointed by Him, but disappointment makes you feel like you've been disappointed. That somehow you've lost what you were walking in, or somehow it's, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Or, and you begin to second-guess things and question things. And so he makes this statement where he's like, unless I touch his wounds... Unless I put my finger in the holes in his hands and feel the hole in his side, how is my heart going to believe? Now, religion communicates this story as like, you know what? Thomas, he, he really didn't have faith because the rest of them, they didn't have to touch. They just saw and believed or they just, you know. And, and it's amazing because when Jesus responds just now, you'll see he says, after Thomas touches him, he says, blessed are those who uh, have not seen and yet believe. And so people took that statement and were like, as if Jesus was rebuking Thomas. And it makes me really upset that this story has been communicated that way because I want to pull something out and show you the heart of Jesus. So eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together. And even though all the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them and said, peace to you. Then looking into Thomas's eyes, like Jesus just knows, right? He's so beautiful. He just knows what Thomas was asking. And looking into his eyes, he said, put your finger here in the wounds of my hands. Put your hand into my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Then the words spilled out of Thomas's heart. You are my Lord and you are my God. Jesus responded, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts. And they will be blessed even more. It says, Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not included in this book. And there's a whole bunch here. But I want to just highlight something. Jesus' response to Thomas was not, get your act together. You missed it. Why weren't you at the gathering when I revealed myself to everybody else? Why were you not there? He, that wasn't his answer. He heard the cry of Thomas's heart, unless I touch you, Jesus, how will I believe? And so Jesus comes into the room and goes, Thomas, touch me. Are you catching this? The heart of Jesus for us is he's not going, you missed it. Get it right. Like, why can't you just be like Peter? You know, this is a funny thing because religion says that I'm like, Peter denied him three times. Like if there was a doubter, it was Peter. You get me? Do you see what religion does? It tells these stories in ways that you go like, that's not true. The reality is I believe every single one of those disciples could relate to Thomas. And I believe that every single one of the disciples watched this moment and learned something about the heart of Jesus. That Jesus is not about right and wrong. He's about presence. Because right and wrong is not what changes us. We learned the lesson we ate from the wrong tree. The knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. It wasn't how we were going to live holy. It wasn't how we were going to live in the things of God. We needed to eat from the tree of life. Who's that? It's Jesus. It's his presence. It's his face. And so he's teaching Thomas. He's going like, I am not afraid of your questions. I am the answer. And so last night, over and over again, I just keep hearing him saying, touch my wounds. Something interesting about Thomas, if you study his life... Um, and this is so, so powerful and so profound that I believe if you touch the wounds of Jesus, you'll touch the nations. Because I think to put your finger in, his, in the holes in his hands, to feel the wound in his side, helps you to come to terms with in your heart what he cares about. Because can you see here that he's so intentional about Thomas's heart that even, even though there's a, a room full of other people, he's come to answer Thomas's heart cry. Touch me, Thomas. Touch my wounds. This morning I could feel it. It's like the Holy Spirit's going, I've come to answer your heart cry. Even in a room of where there's many other needs and questions and things, I've come to answer your heart cry. I care about your heart. I want you to come and experience me and touch me. I want you to know me personally. I look at the things that 
changed my life over a period of 10 to 12 years, whatever it is now. And there are moments where I touched him. There are moments where he touched me. There are moments where I had encounters with the living God. And, and the way he led me into those places was by removing my intellectual expectations of God. Because my intellect is there to serve him. It's not there to criticize, judge him, or decide how he can come. And so I learned how to press into a place of just trusting in Him and letting my heart and His heart collide. And when there's that collision, you begin to experience Him in different ways. And I remember the encounter I mentioned earlier. I remember um, in the first house we lived in, I was standing in our like, living area and, um, and I, just, I was just worshiping and talking to Him. And the next moment I get caught up and I'm in this vision and I see Jesus standing in front of me and He's, he's in the house with me. And He is dripping in oil. And, uh, and I'll never forget the smell. I'll never forget the fragrance. I, I still can't find anything that smells like that. But I grabbed him like anyone would when you see a person who is the lover of your soul. I, I just grabbed him. And I, I could literally smell and feel his hair was wet with oil. He's the anointed one. And what was beautiful is that before, in this vision, I was standing in my clothes. I grabbed him, and when I had let him go, and he grabbed me to look at me, I looked at myself, and I was wearing what he was wearing. See, it's moments like this that they're not for you. Like, I don't care whether you agree theologically with that encounter or not, because it's not yours. It's mine. And it changed my life. I've had encounters with him like this that changed my life, and, and you need this. You need encounters with him. Many of you have had them. If you haven't, I'm going, man, go, it's worth going after him with everything. Just make sure you're going after him in him, not trying to move him or get him to do something for you. But here's Thomas just crying out, going, just t- Lord, I, I don't know how to believe unless I touch you. I don't know. I need to touch your wounds. I need to see. I need to feel. And Jesus' response to that heart cry is, I will reveal myself to you. And so Thomas, his response is beautiful because after this, he's pretty wild. He was there, got filled with Holy Spirit, was part of the birthing of the church. But you know what he did? He traveled further than any of the other disciples to preach the gospel. 3,000 miles he traveled from Jerusalem. He ended up on the coast of India, the other side. And there's probably many more, but history can record that at least seven churches were planted and built by Thomas. He spent time, 29 years in India, 29 years in India. If you've been to India, which I have, let me tell you, two weeks is enough. 29 years he served people, loved people. He learned the language, planted communities, made disciples, and then he was brutally martyred, stabbed to death by Hindus. The guy who put his finger in the hole in Jesus' hand was the one who who took the gospel 3,000 miles away from where it started. I don't think he's a doubter. I think he's a lover. I think the Lord's not intimidated by our need for him. You know what's interesting? This statement that we used as the very thing to label him a doubter, I believe was his mandated message. So Jesus says to him, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe, but there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts, and they will be blessed even more. I believe that was the message Thomas carried to places like India, going like, yeah, okay, he happened to walk into the room where I was, but you can still touch his wounds. Thomas carried a message of teaching people how to see with their hearts. You know, we, we're in this place where we go like, well, how come, maybe, maybe you're sitting here going, how come Connor had this encounter where he saw Jesus and he was dripping in oil? I haven't had that. Where's mine? And I'm going, well, why don't you let the Holy Spirit teach you how to see with your heart? See, because encounters come. They, you don't, the Holy Spirit is beautiful. You pursue Him and He encounters us. He's, he's faithful to reveal Himself to us. We're not chasing encounters. We're chasing Him. 
We're in pursuit of Him. We're in pursuit of the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to know you. I'm reading my Bible to know you. And, and you know, just to be very honest with you, like th- that's the area I really have to dig deep. I find it easy to, you know, have a vision or a dream or, or talk to the Lord. I love that. But then in the Scriptures, I dig deep. I'm like, I'm going to find you here in this passage about sackcloth and ashes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to dig deep and go, okay, the book of Numbers. I don't know why you put this in here, but we're going to... I dig deep to find Him. I, I, I want to search for Him. I, I, want to, I want to know where He is. You know, I believe a love for the Word is not... There's two types. There's one that's intellectual, and I believe it leads you into error. The intellectual love for the Word that's about knowledge, which puffs you up, makes you think you actually know something. And then there's a love for the Word that comes from being in love with the person. And it's when you begin to open it and go, I want to discover who He is. I know nothing. I need Him. It's why Heidi Baker, for me, is such a beautiful testimony, because she's got PhDs in theology, and yet she's this little lady in the dirt on her knees going, I just want to love someone in front of me. I believe people like that are catching the heart of God. They're catching the heart of the Holy Spirit. And Thomas, for me, is one of these people. And so when I was praying for us, just on and off last night and then this morning, I just kept feeling the invitation of the Lord to every single one of us, saying, you can come and touch my wounds. You can come put your, your hands in the holes. Because when you do that, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus became vulnerable for you so that you never have to live vulnerable. Because vulnerability by nature means to touch each other's wounds. But Jesus didn't, didn't say, let's touch each other's wounds. He said, touch my wounds. Because when you touch his wounds, you receive the fullness of what he paid for. We don't stay broken when we touch the wounds of Jesus. Because he was broken so that we could be whole. The only reason we stay broken is because we don't come and touch him. So where, where do you go? What do you do when your heart is troubled, when life is loud, when it's difficult, when there's disappointment, when there's frustration, when there's pain? Where do you run? I know from my heart sometimes what we do is we, we run to isolation. We run to solitude to try to figure out our hearts, to try to understand why I'm feeling what I'm feeling, to try to process those things. And let me tell you that the Holy Spirit is He's the most incredible counselor. And so there's a place when you come to Him, when you run to Him instead of running away. It's not that you just pretend like nothing happened and, and, uh, and it's like, well, you know, I just touched Jesus and it's just, bing, everything's okay. And No, He's intentional about your heart. And so He begins to minister fullness to you. And the way He ministers fullness to you is that He can take you into things, but when He's there, He begins to show you truth and light and, and love. I've been on both sides. I, I have quite an intense past and I went through some hard things. And I remember I had two approaches. One was like, I believe the gospel and nothing else matters and I am just whole in Jesus and it doesn't matter. Everything's gone. And that lasted for a few years until situation and circumstance starts to poke at some stuff. And then things come up. You go, where did that come from? Why is that pain coming up? Why, is that, why are these emotions coming up? And suddenly you go, okay, because I need to actually let the blood of Jesus heal some stuff. You know, the blood of Jesus is not a patch-up job where you kind of like repaint the wall, you know. The blood of Jesus, it's a blood transfusion between Him and It's a complete transformation. You need to let the blood run over every area of your life. You need to let it actually begin to infiltrate those parts of your story so that He can make it new. And so I began to realize that the Holy Spirit is, is a beautiful counselor because He could take me back without having to go back like it was. When, when Jesus took me back, it was different. He took me back to show me His faithfulness to show me His fullness, to show me who He is in me. And so I'm just going to hit it real quick. There's some really messed up theologies and teachings around inner healing because what it is is taking people back to say, okay, let's go back to that moment. What did you see? What did you feel? That's not what the Holy Spirit's doing because that's not what matters anymore. When He takes us back, when He begins to rewrite our story, what He's beginning to teach us is He's saying, can you see who I am here? Can you see what I say here? And when we begin to see the Holy Spirit do that, what He's doing is He is applying and ministering the blood of Jesus to say, I make all things new. You are not this anymore. You with me? 
if, if, if our pasts begin to speak, if our stories begin to speak into our future in terms of our identity, then we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to minister the blood of Jesus to us because what He does is He says, this is not who you are. Blood of Jesus has transformed your life. This is what you look like. You look like Jesus. And the reason why sometimes we don't experience healing, why we sometimes get stuck in the trauma of things, is because we're afraid to go there. Or we've been there the wrong way. We went there in self. Are you with me? I just feel like the Holy Spirit is so clear that He, he doesn't do patch-up jobs. He doesn't upgrade and, and fix things and renovate. He bulldozes the whole house down. <laughs> Relays the foundations and builds something new and beautiful on a new piece of land in a different city. <laughs> we listen to a lot of voices and we listen to a lot of um, experiences and situations that try to speak into our present and I, th I think I fear that we as the church have found coping mechanisms rather than finding transformation. Do you hear me? What I mean by coping mechanisms is we, f we find aspects of the gospel that we hold on to to get through situations, circumstances, and seasons rather than going, okay, Holy Spirit, let's take this one head on and you minister the fullness of the, the finished work of the cross to me. Let's, let's take this one and crucify it. Let's go straight through it. But you know, sometimes what that looks like is Letting Him counsel you through it. Letting Him walk you through it. Letting Him bring, bring freedom. And you know, it's interesting. Like I now can look back at my past and I'm free from the emotional pain of those moments. But I still feel the pain of it because it happened. It's not pain that dictates to me how I live my life. It's a reality of like, I feel gratitude from the Holy Spirit that, he, that I'm where I am today. I look at it and go, how, how did you do that, God? That's, that's incredible that you could take brokenness and make all things new. And then it brings hope, because it means that there's hope for future, there's hope for more, there's hope for the things that God's called us to walk in, there's hope to run. And I'm saying this because I'm journeying right now with, with workers, and, and um, I say workers, missionaries, they just can't say that overseas, so here it's easy. Missionaries, I'm journeying with them, and the biggest thing I'm noticing is this, they're not emotionally healthy because their past is still speaking. And it just provoked things in my heart to go like, okay, we say, okay, the, you know, old things have passed away, new things the Lord now declares, the past is over, I'm a new creation. Yes, all those things are true. What does it mean for your heart? What does that mean for your heart tomorrow and, and the next day? And how, does it, how, do, how do we steward our hearts? Because I think what we do is we just glance over things and just try and, you know, it's done now, everything's fine, we just move on. And no, I'm in Jesus now, everything's just normal and fine. And I'm like, no, it's not, you're not okay. <laughs> you are in Jesus but to be in Jesus means to let Jesus do the work of Jesus in your heart and in your life. Let Him minister to you. Let Him touch you. I remember there was one specific encounter, and um, Mama Crystal will know this. I used, to, I used to stand up, and I really couldn't stand any healing for a long time. She used to give me hidings after the service. Because um, I'd get up and go like, you don't need any healing, you just need God. Um, and then I'm like, no, hold on. The word inner healing is probably a good thing. You want your inner world to be healed. What I, was, what I meant was we don't need these methods and systems that are religious and controlling and actually are self-centered, self-orientated, begin to reveal self in the flesh rather than elevate and exalt Christ in us. But if we do this right with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing because He takes a story of someone who actually looks completely needy and needs to touch his wounds and turns him into somebody who takes the gospel 3,000 miles from where it started. That's what the gospel does to people's hearts and lives. But I remember the Lord taking me in and I was so, the first five minutes of this encounter, I was so mad because he took me in a vision back to a moment in my past. And I was like, God, according to me, you don't do this. In the book of Connor, chapter 2, <laughs> You don't take me back to my past. And you know what was interesting? I realized I wasn't in my past. I was in the present. I was remembering. 
And that was different. It was like, hold on, he's not taking me into my past. He's trying to teach me something. He's trying to train me. He's trying to shape me and mold me with truth. And he took me back and he began to show me one of the most painful, horrific moments of my life. And it was crazy because what all I got from it was this. He was right there. And what it did was it made my, my whole life feel like I've been in his hands all along. Does that make sense? It's like in your, in, if you could experience the, the presence and person of the Holy Spirit in your most painful experiences, it gives you a confidence because you know, I've been in Him all along. But the revelation now of the gospel of grace is that that, what I experienced, is not who I am, nor is it my portion. And God has been so faithful, faithful to take me from that place into truth. And when, when we begin to come into truth and actually believe it about ourselves, you begin to see the fruits of righteousness. And I know I look at my life and I go, the fruits of righteousness that we see in our lives when we're in Him have nothing to do with what we can produce. Because you just need to take five minutes to look back and you'll see how inadequate you are. I didn't plan on going this way, sorry. What does it mean to be whole? What does it mean to be whole in Jesus? It's not about figuring out how to put your pieces together. It's about being His. Because when we let Him touch us and we touch His wounds, we receive the fullness of who Jesus is. We receive His nature so we can walk it out and live it. See, I think what, we, what we've sometimes lost is the divine exchange that happened at the cross. When we come to the cross, we, we bring our brokenness and we receive His fullness. But now what a lot of the church is doing is we have our brokenness and then I take his fullness and paste it over my brokenness and just hope that no one can see it. Instead of giving it to him and seeing the divine exchange of my brokenness for your fullness, meaning this is not me anymore. I'm not called to carry this. I'm not called to walk in this. I'm called to walk in who you are. Amen? This feels heavy and I'm trying not to be heavy. Sorry, it's supposed to be very encouraging. It's interesting to me that Jesus, he says to his disciples, peace to you, first thing he says when he arrives. Um, that might be because Revelation 1 resurrected Jesus is pretty terrifying. Anyway, but he says, peace to you. And then he, he, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Which provokes me to ask the questions of like, okay, how did the Father send Jesus? And it, it moves me because it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to my earthly mind that you would send the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God, the way He was sent. It was low, it was humble, and it was completely dependent. Like Jesus, the Son of the living God, King of glory, was completely dependent. And even as He got older, He began to say statements like, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. So there's this dependency, and, and Jesus modeled, like, it's so beautiful. He was going, I, I can only be what the Father is, because if I'm anything outside of that, it's, it's flesh. I can only be who the Father says that I am. I can only be what the Father does, what the Father says. That's what I carry and release on the earth, because if I'm outside of that, it's my own attempt. Because remember, He came as a man. And so he gets baptized, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, he models something of a demonstration of, he's the prototype of what we're called to live in. And now he's saying, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, on the earth right now, I cannot be what, unless he is. I can't be righteous unless he's righteous. Good thing he's righteous. And he said, be holy as I am holy. In other words, his holiness has become mine. His righteousness has become mine. But what does it mean to believe these things? What does it mean to believe that you're righteous? Like I've been thinking about this for years. Because I, I kind of just thought, well, I just wake up, tell myself I'm righteous. And it's true. That's an aspect of it. But then I have to let him actually touch parts of my life where I don't believe that. So when I, when I start to walk in areas and then I'm going, ooh, that one's, that's sore. Why does that one still hurt? That, it's still under the blood like Jesus died for that, but it's still stabbing me. Why is it painful? Okay, how do I now... Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the righteousness of Jesus in this thing. And when I begin to allow Him into that painful place, He takes the pain, divine exchange, 
takes the brokenness and gives me his fullness so that I can come away from that moment no longer broken or feeling broken, but fully believing who I am in Jesus. Are you getting me? I'm, I'm trying to talk about the application of the grace of God in your life every single day. Because I know, like, it, it, only believe. It's just when you believe in the grace of God, He transforms your life. But that looks like something when you have to confront pain. And I, I think I'm learning more and more that the church has not been equipped enough to confront pain in their lives. So what we do now is we have weird ministries that confront it wrongly. And all it does is, is actually elevates the flesh and, and it, you leave in more pain or confused, thinking you're free, wondering why you don't feel free. Because someone told you you're free, but you're not. And then the same cycles of brokenness happen. You keep coming back and going, I thought I was free. Why am I not free? And then it's, well, it must be unforgiveness in your heart or this hidden sin or this and that. And we just come under legalism. We come under the law. Sorry, I'm touching stuff now. Instead of going, the grace of God wants to confront my pain and reveal the goodness of who He is to me. And so it's not just about holding a message and waving it around like it's a, a signal but actually going, hold on, Lord, take this revelation of who you are, the grace of God, and let it confront my pain. Counsel me through this so that I can begin to see what you see. So that when I walk away from this moment, I walk steadfast in who you are. See, we've come out of three years of pain. COVID tackled some stuff and kicked a lot of us right where it hurts. And it provoked things and it brought out things and there was all this stuff going on and there was, everybody had a camp putting their flags up. We lost, we lost friends because we got vaccinated. Even though we got vaccinated to go preach the gospel in the Middle East, but anyway. Like there was so much pain and so much relational hurt and tensions and I think the enemy had an absolute field day with COVID in the church because we just didn't know where to stand. But we're free, you know. And the reality is we got so caught up in all the stuff, we got so caught up in all the voices that we missed an opportunity. I believe this. We missed an opportunity to shine. And God's so faithful because now what you see coming out of those three years is things are shifting. And God is beginning to breathe over His house. He's breathing over His church. He's awakening His bride. There's, there's a fresh fire on the church to say yes to the Great Commission. There's a fresh fire on the church to consecrate themselves for the presence of the Lord. Things are shifting. It's not the same. Life is not the same. The world's not the same. But one of the things as a pastor that I'm feeling in my heart is I'm going, okay, are we equipped as the church to deal with pain? Because, what, because pain is, a, is an emotion and a feeling that wants to take you back into the past. But the reality is don't go back without the blood. Don't go back without the Holy Spirit. Let Him rewrite the story. Let Him make you new. Because we're not called to look back. So don't go back unless He takes you there to teach you something. Amen? That has nothing to do with Thomas. But anyway, I just went down a rabbit trail. Maybe it's for my own heart. Maybe it's for yours. But He's really faithful. If we could understand the nature of Jesus, that Thomas was not at the meeting. So eight days later, eight means new beginnings. Eight days later, new beginning, he reveals himself again. But this time he came for Thomas. I, I read this story and I go, I want to be Thomas. Because can I, can I be poetic and say this? What if Thomas was the first one who really knew what it was like to be in Christ? Because I'm just trying to picture that moment of like resurrected Jesus walks into the room and goes, Thomas, looking Thomas in the eye and says, touch my wounds. If I'm Thomas, and I go put my finger in the holes of his hands and feel the wound in his side, what's, what happens to me? That's the question I'm asking. And I go, now, if I tell my heart, if I lead my heart to come to that place with Jesus to touch his wounds, what's my expectation of what happens to me? I'm receiving the finished work of the cross. I'm going, it's real. It happened. He did it. 
It changed the trajectory of Thomas's life. It should change the traje- trajectory of yours. It changed Thomas's decisions. I guarantee you, up until that, that moment, Thomas was looking at plan B, C, D, E. <laughs> you know, plan A was, we found the Messiah, things are going really well. And then suddenly plan A was crucified on a cross. And then it was plan B, plan C, plan D. How, what do I do with my life? I just, what, what was the last three and a half years about? What's happening? Disappointment, confusion, fear, chaos, panic. You know, Jesus had financial supporters who were helping, you know, support them on their ministry trips. And that's probably gone now, you know. How, how do I pay my bills? Like, where's the, you know, the guy who was raising all the funds just got killed. And I've been out of work for three and a half years, you know. I'm just being, I'm being practical. You know, it's just real. It's like there must have been a, a whole storm of emotions. There must have been so many thoughts that he was going through. And Jesus is so faithful to meet him right there in that and go, yeah, come, Thomas, touch my wounds. So I look at that and I go, okay, change the trajectory of his life where I guarantee you if you'd asked Thomas before that moment, what's your five-year vision for life? I guarantee you he wasn't saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move to the, the far coast of India. 3,000 miles away from everything that I know and preach the gospel and, and hopefully some Hindus stab me to death. I guarantee you that wasn't, that wasn't the trajectory of his life. And I want to just challenge him. Just, say, just be careful with how you make decisions. Just be careful with where your decision-making process comes from. Just because it seems good doesn't always mean it's God. If we spent more time pursuing Him, pursuing the person of the Holy Spirit, just laying down every agenda, laying down every dream, laying down everything else, and just going, Lord, the cry of my heart is to be intimate with You. The cry of my heart is to know You. The cry of my heart is to touch Your wounds. I promise you, the dream of God will come alive in your heart. It might look nothing like you planned, but it will come alive. I'm going to touch one thing. Is that okay? Just as the Holy Spirit's highlighting things. Because we don't know how to deal with pain, we run. And so what we, we look for good opportunities that seem like God, but actually it's escapism. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's the same way we say the grace of God is not a license to sin. Well, it's also not a license to run away from Him or to run away from letting the grace of God really substantially change your life. I've seen it so many times. I've journeyed with so many people. Journey with people that go on this thing, and then suddenly Holy Spirit starts to touch that, that area that just, we, we, we locked it up with chains and locks, and it was like, that's the one room in my heart you don't get to touch, Lord. Let's just pretend it's not there. Like, I'm going to paint it like it's a wall. Take the door handle off. You don't even know there's a room in there. We all have those. And the funny thing is, he's still inside that room. It's just that you're, you're pretending like it's not there and hiding on the other side. And so sometimes he's in the room that you hid in your heart and he's knocking on that door waiting for you to come and open it. But I've journeyed this with people and sometimes it can be so many different things. It can be something so simple like rejection. And the Holy Spirit's touching it not because he wants to um, amplify your rejection, but because he wants to show you your sonship. And so he's touching that one going, hey, can, you just, can we knock this door down? I want in. And what the majority of people do because they don't know how to take the message of the grace of God, the reality of who Jesus is, and confront pain, what they do is they run. And they run because of multiple different factors. The church has also been a misrepresentation where they're afraid to journey any pain with people because people immediately start to do what all the weird ministries did. Instead of pointing them to Jesus, they point them to why you're in pain. They know why they're in pain, and so does Jesus. Tell them that he wants them to come touch his wounds. <laughs> and so we see so much pain in the church because you're just seeing broken people moving around trying to find an escape rather than saying, Jesus, I need to touch you. My heart is all over the place. This is what's happening. I don't want to go in that room, but you're knocking. It's your room. It's your house. You get to go where you want to go. Are you with me? I feel like I'm in a counseling session. <laughs> Maybe it's for my own heart. I, I can't, I just, I read this and over the last 
12 hours just shocked that here is Thomas, the guy who touched the wounds of Jesus, and he went to the ends of the earth. It's like, it's the same way that Mary of Bethany, the one who, you know, all she knew to do was just break my perfume over Jesus. And he goes, yeah, wherever the gospel's preached in all creation, this is the story they'll tell. Can you see the heart of God? He's like, he's just, he, it wasn't impressive to man. It, it was impressive to God. What if, what if this moment of Thomas's neediness for Jesus actually impressed Jesus? What if he was like, I love to do this. I love to actually reveal myself to you. And yes, Jesus says to Thomas, there's going to be people who don't see with their physical eyes, but they see with their heart, and they're more blessed. What does he mean by that? He's saying there's a treasure and a reward for people who learn to see with their hearts, who learn to touch the wounds of Jesus with their hearts, who learn to walk by faith 2,000 years after this. That's the invitation of Jesus. Amen? So I get wrapped up. I'm like, Lord, I'm ready to release assignments over the house. You know, I want to commission laborers for the ends of the earth and all these different places. And Jesus is saying, yep, we're going to get to that. We're going to do that. Just tell them they can touch my wings. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever you're in right now, it sounds real um, mushy and like it's, the language is really, it's intimate and it's gory. That's the cross. Jesus never asked us to touch each other's wounds, but he did say, come and touch his. And so we've got to learn how to, as communities, point one another to him, point one another, one another to the one who died and was raised, the one who has holes in his hands, who kept them after resurrection, by the way, just so that you would know, who's seated at the right hand of the Father with holes in his hands and a hole in his side. There's a purpose to this, you know. We come touch Him, we receive His fullness, we receive who He is. The grace of God transforms us, it makes us brand new. But it looks like something. It's not a copy and paste message. It's a heart transformation that comes from walking with Him in truth. Does that make sense? So you, you're most likely, everybody in this room has got some sort of situation that pops into your heart or your mind when you hear this. And you go, okay, wow, in that situation, the invitation is to come to Him to receive who he is and then watch how he begins to do a work in you that you never thought was possible. 3,000 miles, 29 years, seven churches and a whole people group. Wild. So maybe that changes your perspective of Thomas a little bit. Um, this is a weird one. I, I prepped it differently because I got pages and pages of notes on Antioch, but I've got um, about five verses of touching Jesus' wounds, so there's not a lot to work with there, but... Um, but it's personal to us, man. And I just think it's, it's this morning from the moment we were doing practice and in the prayer time. And I just I could immediately start to feel the tenderness of Jesus. And um, as I came down and was looking people in the eyes, I could just feel his tenderness. I just feel how much he loves our hearts. And so this is not me trying to impress you with any word. This is me just inviting you to say, let Jesus encourage your hearts this morning. Um, my prayer is that when you walk out of this room, you're not walking out like, oh, I've got to touch the gory wounds of Jesus. And that's not what I'm saying. I, my prayer is that you come out of here going, he really cares about my heart and he's very personal to me. That he will walk into a room like this and go, I came for Nathan's heart. I came for Sean's heart. I came for your heart. He really loves you. He really cares about your heart. Amen. So there's that. I think the Lord's going to ignite a culture of prayer in 24-7 that I think looks very different than what we think it looks like. Um, I think it's, it's, it's expressions of intercession that are so established in the grace of God that it carries such hope and life and vision that, that prayer becomes electric because it's in Him. 
Um, I think there's a shift coming, that there's a movement of intercession that's going to hit the church once again that doesn't look like weeping and travailing, although I believe in it, but it's going to look like incredible zeal, passion, and a fiery uh, stirring in our hearts because we know He's doing it. So when there's travail, when there's weeping, it's, it's going to be marked by joy uh, because of the hope that we're carrying in this hour. Um, I think actually more than anything, the church needs to exemplify uh, hope and joy. And uh, maybe that's why the Lord's highlighting these things as He's saying, if I can teach you how to allow the grace of God to deal with pain in your heart and in your life, then you can begin to step into the nature of Jesus in expression and not just revelation, because revelation is everything, but in expression, which means people get to taste the joy and hope that grace brings. People get to taste and see the goodness of God in your life. There's actually fruit that they can pick from your life. Are you with me? That's coming. I see it. I see there's a catalytic movement. I see there's an awakening. I see the stirring. Um, and I, I think that God's going to do more in five years than what He did in the last 50 years. I think there's an acceleration that's coming over the church, and we've got to make sure we're, we're prepared. And the way we're prepared is not by being impressive. It's by being dependent. The way we're prepared is by knowing how to walk with the Holy Spirit. I believe the way we're prepared is by making sure, absolutely sure, that every life decision, every heart decision, everything that you think you want for your life, that you have put it at His feet. Because that's what's going to propel you forward. Are you making sure that you're holding the expressions of your life open-palmed open before Jesus that He can do whatever He wants with it? Because if we've set and decided because it seemed good to us, we might be eating from the wrong tree. Now I feel zeal and like, I don't know what shifted there. I'm starting to feel a little fiery now. Maybe we should go into another message. I'm... No, listen, it's like I feel, I feel the Holy Spirit beginning to contend. That's what it feels in my heart. He's beginning to contend for our lives because it's not your dream. Are you starting to, can you feel that? It's not your dream. It's His dream. I, I think the, 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 the boundary lines of full-time ministry, missionary, business person, it's, it's being erased. It's being erased because one moment you might be called to walk into that business meeting. The next moment he might be saying, lay it down and go to that people group. And then you get to that people group and he goes, guess what? I also want you to start a business here. And then you're back. This, there's a, a fluidity, a flexibility, a resilience that comes from just being his. It's his dream. I don't have the path planned out. I have him. I'm walking with him. He stops, I stop. He moves, I move. When I meet, this is why God is totally redeeming and transforming the church in this hour, because I meet missionaries and workers out in the field who are alone. But what marks me every time is that they've given up everything. This, um, just recently, this Mongolian brother that we met, man, ah, this guy, has profoundly marked my life. Because he was, he was given a scholarship to finish his studies and given a, an internship to be a rocket scientist at NASA. I mean, this is like, this guy's smart. And yet, he turns it down because he encountered Jesus and decided that there's people groups that don't know Jesus and there's whole nations, 0.01%. So you know what? I'm going to go move there. And I don't know what it's going to look like and I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to go serve. It's not your dream. It's his dream. And what was amazing is I said, so how long are you going to be here? He's like, as long as I'm allowed to be. And then I'm like, what are you going to do after that? I have no idea. Where are you living? I'm living in this, I can't say the place, but this very conservative suburb where he's like the only Christian in like a 10 kilometer radius, you know? Like he has to travel outside of that whole area to get to a place where he can just find one other Christian. Where they have the speakers in the hallways with the call to, the, the you know, mass call to prayer. So he's just got that stuff all the time, but he's like, but I'm meant to be here because God told me to be here. So I'm like, are you where, where you're meant to be because God put you there? It's just a good question to ask. Because some of you might be in a place right now where God is just breathing on your business. Do you want, can I use you as an example, bro? We had a, such a beautiful coffee and we were talking and Mike's heart is burning for the nation. So we said to him, like, bro, buckle up, it's time. But at the same time, God's breathing on his business. And it's like the question, the tension is, 
whoa, how do I, like, if he's breathing on my business, does that mean I can't do the nations? Or, like, do I, maybe it doesn't matter if he's breathing on it. Just to, like, we had this conversation. I said to him, you know what's amazing is that where he's breathing, just stay there right now. But he, the, the breath might shift. See, what happens is God breathes on businesses and it's like, wow, and things get exciting and then God moves and we don't because we're like, no, but the money's here. <laughs> Hello. It took, it took seven years where, I, I hope it's okay for me to say this, seven years in full-time ministry without a salary, doing it because God said do it and finding other ways to make money knowing that I could pursue careers and whatever, and I wrestled with that all the time. Like, God, what's my career, you know? And I was like, where do I get this garbage? Like, I don't see anything in the Bible about pursuing a career at all. I see follow Jesus, deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Jesus. So I need to just be where he told me to be. Other people have a different story. They went and studied and became multimillionaires, and then and God moved and used them. But I'm telling you that there's, there's coming a day, because it's just the way it is, that I believe when the Lord begins to move that way, I don't think it's He's so one-track minded that you get that one assignment and that's the, your assignment for your whole life. The problem is when, it, when it's tied to money, we won't move when He moves. Or we move because the money moved, but God didn't. You hearing me? This is what we do. We, we make decisions because suddenly I, I was following Jesus and it opened up this whole thing and then it's like, wow, that's exciting. And then he moves and I don't want to move. Or he doesn't want to move and the money moves and it's like, I'm hitting this thing because I, I'm telling you, Lord, I hope this is you. Wait. Yeah. Some of you guys, your work environment is suffocating the dream of God in your heart and in your life. And we've got to be able to ask the questions and go, okay, Jesus, am I letting something matter more that doesn't matter most? Because he's so good and so faithful, do you really think he's going to let you down? Do you really think he's going to drop you? Like Jesus can stand on his own two feet. He's got you on his shoulders. You don't have him on yours. So make sure when you're beginning to walk in obedience in Him, you'll see the life flow of the Holy Spirit because you start to see the fruits of the kingdom in your life. How do you know that your work environment is suffocating you from the kingdom of God? Well, you're depressed, you're confused, you're hardly able to do anything else other than work, your family's taking strain because of it, there's dissension and disunity in your, in your family or in your life, you're, you, you can't gather with the saints because you're just too busy. You don't even have capacity to dream with God. You hear about, God cares about these people and places and the, the guy down the street who's in need of help. And it's like, yeah, that's amazing. I'm sure someone will get to that. You're tired. You're weary. You're fatigued. It's the effects of mammon. Sheesh, I went there now. Sorry, guys. All your faces are like. Don't you think he loves us too much to let us live a life that's dictated to by money and other people's opinions and plans and goals and empires and dreams? Don't you think he cares too much about your heart to just say, well, that's kind of my portion for you, so. I think he's so madly in love with you. I think if you would dare to dream with him, I think if you dare to believe him, he might just do something that's totally out of the blue from what you thought, but it's him and it's full of life and it's an adventure in Jesus. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy and maybe you won't have as much money, but you'll be fulfilled because it's him. The Lord has been teaching me about this because I'm nearly done, sorry. Because we... Um, when this venue came about, the, the offer, the, the first reason not to even jump at this was the money. And then I looked at it, I was like, okay, let me look at all these different areas. Why would I not do this? Why would I not have faith for this? And it was the, the only reason was money. 
And then I was like, wow. I wouldn't even consider something the moment I saw the price of it because it's money. Rather than going, hold on, God, what are you saying? Is this you? Do you get what, are you hearing me? Moving because he moves. Staying because he's staying. You get me? Okay, I hit something there and maybe I'll have to patch that one up over the next couple of weeks. If I can simplify it to this, just don't do anything unless you heard him. Can I make it very simple for you? Just put the tool in your hand. Don't freak out. Don't send me an email. Just go trust Jesus. Don't do anything unless you've heard him. Just pursue him. Follow him. Listen to him. Ask him why he has you where he has you right now and what he's asking you to do in this moment, how to handle situations. This week, you're going to have situations. It's okay. You don't have to figure it all out straight away. Just listen to him. Ask him, God, how do I deal with this one today? How do I deal with this one tomorrow? You get what I'm saying? Touches wounds. Okay, I'm done. Shall we stand? And Lord, I release that anointing over this house. That God, we don't want to hold to our own dreams. We want to live for yours. So I pray, let the dream of God be the heartbeat of 24-7. Let the dream of God be the heartbeat of the bride. Let it awaken and stir up in us. A heart to obey, a heart to follow, a heart to know you. So God, thank you for what you've done today. I pray if I've said anything that's not in your, in your heart, Lord, that it would fall away. But that which is of you, Lord, thank you that it would really transform our hearts. Lead us to deeper intimacy with you. Make us yours, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. We celebrate you this morning. Thank you for family. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. I know we were a bit over, but I love you. Thank you for staying and listening. Thank you for wanting to be here. Your family, have coffee, enjoy, and uh, we'll see you Wednesday night at home groups. Love you guys.